Welcome back to another episode of the Talks of Life podcast. I'm the host, Brittany Jacobs. In this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with John Winslow, the founder of One for One Water. One for One Water is naturally alkaline spring water. For every liter of water purchased with One for One Water, they give one liter of clean, sustainable water to a community in need by providing a well system. One person can change the world, and this is a great example of how individuals can take action to do so. You can find One for One Water in Southwest Florida and online at oneforonewater.com. Don't forget to follow on Spotify to receive notification when more episodes are released. If you're interested in watching the video form of these interviews, you can subscribe on our YouTube channel. I hope this interview ignites passion within you to make a difference, no matter how big or small. Thanks for listening to the Talks of Life podcast. Well, I have a lot of questions. I'm sure you got the outline um, sent to you. One thing I I would like to add, I guess, or hear a little bit more about, um, now that you mentioned it, was the challenges that COVID did present to you. Yeah. Um, And that it did change a lot of people's manufacturing processes, of course. Right. Well, um, I mean, I don't want want to ruin the suspense (laughs) for when you actually asked me the question. But my my bottler... um, actually stopped bottling water entirely and they now make hand sanitizer no kidding yeah well i'm john winslow i'm the founder of one for one water and um i this is this is my first big entry into being an entrepreneur i mean when i was a kid uh i you know i was 12 years old and had a lawn mowing business and so i've always always had a little bit of that entrepreneurial spirit um, but this is so much bigger than me and so far beyond anything that, you know, if you asked me five years ago, if I would be launching a national brand bottled water business, I would have said, absolutely not. There's no way I would ever do that. Um, so this is really um, my first big, you know, entry into being, into being an entrepreneur on, on this kind of scale. Um, I, I was a firefighter for almost 20 years in Naples, Florida, and I loved it. I, I was a I was a firefighter EMT. I was a driver engineer, um, and I was also an alternate lieutenant. And you know, I, I see the guys that I used to work with, and they're like, "Do you miss it?" I'm like, "I miss it every day." It was the I I had every little boys and, and a lot of little girls uh, dream job. I got paid to drive a fire truck. I mean, it was one of those things where. Um, I would get up in the morning and say, I get to go to work today. I mean, I never woke up in the morning and said, I have to go to work today. It was just that kind of, that kind of um, environment. And it was a great, great department that I worked for. Um, so at the fire department, you work 24 hours on and then you have 48 hours off. So you work every third day for 24 hours. And so I always did something on my days off. Um, my my trade is air conditioning and here in southwest florida that's a great trade to have and that's probably where the bulk of my business experience comes from um i in that industry i've been everything from an apprentice when i was young to um i've been operations manager for a couple of fairly large companies in the area so when i started to get into leadership roles in the air conditioning industry, that was when I started to realize that 
the things that I'd learned in the fire department were actually really, really powerful tools in the business world. You know, the fire department's all about organizational structure and process and procedure. Um, and the first company that I went into when I left the fire department had none of those things. And I walked in and, and rebuilt a, an entire department in three weeks. And then they promote, I was the, I was the manager of that department when I walked in the door and then they promoted me to operations manager for the whole company. And I started doing that with the individual departments, just putting processes in place, putting procedures in place and, and empowering the people that work there, you know, showing them what the expectation was, training them how to reach that expectation. And it, it really changed the dynamic a lot um, for everybody that I worked with in that company. So, um, so that's, that's who I was before I had this crazy idea for one for one water. That's so awesome. And I always, you know, through these stories, the more and more I hear, it always sounds like everyone's at the right place at the right time, but your path really is, you got to give lifetime to give you the experience. You got to learn the lessons. And then when you're ready, you know, basically the next journey and door is open for you to, to jump on board through another opportunity. So it sounds really refreshing again to hear like you were always kind of being fed these tools for success, um, not knowing that it would lead you to, of course, creating something as big as this. But now you feel empowered enough and ready to take on, you know, over, I guess, in a way. Well, one thing, a, a piece of that story that I, that I want to share, especially because right now um, with everything that's going on with COVID-19, there are a lot of people that are out of work. Their careers might not even exist anymore right now just because of everything that's going on. So I left the fire department, a 20 year career that I loved because I had this opportunity at this air conditioning company. And I went in and I was very successful in that company, um, accomplished every one of the goals that I had when I walked in the door. And I basically did that in the first three weeks. Um, and then 90 days after I left the fire department, I was laid off from that job along with about a hundred other people. So I had left a secure career that I loved that I'd been in for almost 20 years and stepped out and immediately got my feet kicked out from under me. And that, that's an important part to mention because you know everything that we want is on the other side of a storm or a desert or whatever analogy you wanna put it in every good thing that we reach for, every, every big goal that we have is gonna require hard work and it's gonna require growth, personal and, and mental growth. And, and it's gonna involve some pain and some difficulty to get there. And that's a really important piece to mention because if you don't expect that, or if you don't think, if I left that out of my story, Somebody might think that doing something this big is easy sure. and you should know, you should know that it's difficult before you walk into it. Because if you get blindsided, it can, it can cause you to lose your motivation. Mm -hmm. um, but when you see something like when I looked at one for one water, I realized it was so much bigger than me and had so much potential that I had to do it, even though it was so far outside my comfort zone. And I knew that I was going to have, you know, uh, personal and, and mental growth and a lot to learn. Um, 
and there's and it's been there have been some struggles in it and knowing what knowing my why knowing why i decided to um to step out so far is the thing that that gets me through when i have one of those days so that i just i wanted to share that because that um it kind of came off rosy like i left the fire department and i just glided into this into this role and it wasn't like that at all it was it was a couple of years of real struggle trying to find my place and figure out what exactly i was supposed to be doing so were you doing more inner work? Um, I know you identify as Christian and mm -hmm. was it more of a guided thing that you were called to do? Um, I know you have some experience with doing mission trips. Was that part of the figuring out and the why? The, the way that One for One Water started was I was, I, I've loved the um, compassionate entrepreneur, um, you know, the socially responsible entrepreneur concept um, since I first heard about it. And I've, I've literally been looking for my version of that. I've been looking for something that I could do. And, and, I've, and I've had a couple of ideas, like I wanted to, to build a factory in Haiti um, to make clothing and then have a clothing line that created jobs. And, and, and when I did the numbers on it, it just didn't work. Um, so, I mean, I, I looked at several different things like that and tried to I, I've always wanted to do something like this. And I was literally driving down the road one day, drinking a bottle of water. And I thought, if Tom's can give away a pair of shoes for every pair they sell, if Warby Parker can give away a pair of glasses, if Bombos can give away a pair of socks, um, why, why can't we do it with water? And then I immediately thought, well, if it was a great idea, somebody else would have done it already. And I tried to put it out of my head. And it literally kept me awake at night. Um, yeah. So, um, so I started making calls. I called, uh, you know, I called a bottler. I called some retailers. Um, I started building out some, some spreadsheets to see what pricing and cost and freight and everything was going to look like to make it happen. And I did all of that. And I really was confident that I was going to prove to myself that this was another bad idea. And then I'd be able to get some sleep. And it turns out that the numbers worked and um, society is really ready for this kind of thing right now. I mean, people are looking for mission-driven businesses that they can connect with. Part of that process was looking at, you know, part of seeing if, it, if the numbers work was seeing, you know, what it would cost to fund a well in South America or Africa and how many people would that well take care of? How many liters of water a day would those wells produce? Um, and would those numbers all work so that we could keep our promise of providing a liter for every liter that we sell? When I started doing that, and I realized how massive the bottled water market is in the United States. In, in 2021, bottled water in the United States alone is gonna be 25 billion in annual sales. With a B, huh? With a B, 25 billion. So when I sat with the branding and marketing team, they said, you know, what's your big, hairy, audacious goal? What would be a huge win? And I'd never thought about it this way before at all. But I was like, you know, they were like, what's your, what's your goal? And I said, 55 million in annual revenue, which is one quarter of 1% 1 
of that $25 billion market. Because at 55 million in annual revenue, we'll be funding a new well every day. That each one of these wells um, provides water for somewhere around 500 to 1,000 people. Um, we launched on November 1st and funded a well in Bihanga, Uganda. And that well provides clean water for 545 people today. So that was when I, I looked at it and I was like, man, this really could have an impact on the global water crisis. This really could be a powerful vehicle for people to be able to connect with us and, and, and actually do something. I thought I knew about the global water crisis before. Like, I, you know, you see, you see its effects on TV, people talk about it on the news or on documentaries or whatever. But I didn't realize it, it's not just about the health issues. It's not just about the waterborne illness. Um, it's also uh, completely sociological. Like if there's a village and they don't have a well, usually it's the mother and the daughters that gather the water and they'll spend six hours a day traveling to get water and bringing it home. And it's still not safe to drink, still not clean water most of the time. There's all kinds of dangers on the road. There's animal and human predators on those roads and, and their entire day is spent gathering that water. So now that there's a well in that community, now that daughter can go to school. The, the mother can garden, she can sew, she can do something, she can, she can work now because it takes them 20 minutes a day to get water instead of six hours. Um, there are literally billions of hours of lost manpower every year because of that time spent gathering that water. So the sons who go to work with their fathers, now they can go to school. That well changes the entire dynamic of the community. And the, the nonprofits that we work with do something that I think is really cool. They don't, they don't give the people the well. They go into a community and they bring together the elders in the community and they say, it really looks like you guys could use a well. And the elders say, yeah, we, we do, but we couldn't afford one. And they say, okay, we're gonna give you a micro loan for this well. And you are going to charge a small fee for everybody that uses the well. And that's how you're going to pay us back. And in doing that, it changes the dynamic because if you go in and you provide something for a community that the elders and the leaders in that community couldn't provide, you've effectively pushed them deeper into their poverty. You've, you've pushed them down and, and elevated yourself, not, not intentionally. I mean, there's so much good that's been done and just this slight twist on it changes the dynamic of it because when you come in and you say, we'll give you a micro loan or well, now you've just empowered them to lift themselves up out of poverty. And it's, it's, it's so small of a difference, but it's absolutely huge in what it does for those people. And these organizations they take that money that's coming back in from the payments on the well and they go back to the leaders and they say, it kind of looks like now that there's a well in the community, you could really use a school. And they say, yeah. So it's just really, really cool. The, the, the thought that goes into it and, and the, the things that have been learned just in the last 
20 years about, um, you know, about the way to care for people and to care for them in the best way that, that doesn't just meet their physical needs, but actually empowers them at the same time. It's really cool. And, and I knew little to none of this a year and a half ago. Um, when I started this whole journey. That's unique. So with your understanding of the water uh, crisis, how little, I guess, did you have the understanding of? Just thought we didn't have enough for the world too, or did you just understand it as there wasn't access to clean water for everyone? Right. Well, that's what I mean is I knew, I knew that there were, it's, it's almost a billion people mm -hmm. on the planet today that don't have access to clean water. I didn't realize that number. I knew that I knew it was bad. I knew it was a lot. Um, but what I mean is I knew, um, you know, clean water is just a basic life necessity. But what I didn't know was all of the secondary impacts that that well has in the community, how that changes the entire community. I read a quote. I want to say it was from one of, it was a, an, a UN official, United Nations official. And he said that um, that clean water and sanitation were the keys to unlocking the chains of poverty in the third world. And I thought, man, that's lofty. I mean, that's, and, and then the more that I learned about it, the more I realized that's actually entirely true. You know, with that, with that well in that community, the people in that community now have, now they're healthier, now they're stronger, now they can work, now they have the time to work. Now they can be educated. They have the time to be educated. Um, all of, I, didn't, I didn't know anything about all of those things. I didn't know about the dangers to the women when they were traveling to the wells. I, I just didn't know about those things. And most of the people that I talk to today kind of have the same, it, it's, it's called an awareness level. Mm -hmm. Like you're aware that there's a problem, but you don't know how big and how deep the problem goes. And I think most people today have an awareness level of the global water crisis. Um, and then, you know, obviously you learn a little bit more about it and you start to, to see um, all of the things uh, that are connected to it. So that's I guess, a big part of what I learned. And, you know, back to the whole awareness level itself, like my awareness is we have these infrastructures that we've been essentially blessed with the design to have you know man-made systems that i mean they work pretty effectively and efficiently um to our knowledge but how i guess sustainable is it in the sense of really repurposing water that has not been so polluted or you know runoff like you can't just be drinking street runoff water of course but you know there's canals and dredge and things that have been created and again intentionally designed to manage our resource of water here in the U.S. specifically, but mm -hmm. to understand how a smaller village or country in you know another continent, um, we just don't see those things or haven't experienced them firsthand. So, right. you know, I same deal. I, I understand that it does take a few hours or even a lot of times a day to just harvest the water and to get it back. Um, I mean, that's physically exhausting to even try to imagine how. That would you know exert that much energy um, right. but beyond that what you're saying like to spend six hours of a day to mm -hmm. basically spend that five hours maybe educating themselves teaching yeah. or just being part of their family and village um, 
that they were so far from before. And really refreshing to hear that that's how a small initiative can affect uh, another you know, grand scale of things. Yeah. Yeah. The, the thing is, and I, I think, I think because of the scale of the global water crisis, because it's so many people, it's a, it's a billion people. I think that's the reason that we don't have a better awareness of it. And what I mean by that is like, if, um, I don't know, if you were walking down the street and you saw a child in danger, you would rush and help that child. If you, if you alone were walking down the street and you saw 500 children in danger, you would still start to help, but it would, it, it would be overwhelming. And if you were walking down the street and you saw a billion children, you would feel totally powerless to have any kind of impact on that. And I think that's, I think that's part of it. I think because it's so huge and so terrible, I think there's something in human nature that when you see something that's that overwhelming and you're powerless to do anything about it, you kind of look away, you know, you, you can't look at it because it's, it's so terrible and there's, and you feel like there's nothing that you can do about it. And that's, that's what one for one water is. We, we've created a way for compassionate people to have an impact on the global water crisis every day. And that's what, that's what one for one water is all about. It's about empowering those people who want to make the world a little bit better of a place, giving them just one more tool in their toolbox that they can use to do that. So. Well, that's awesome. And, you know, I remember as a kid commercials, you know, there was certain organizations that were raising funds for, mm-hmm. I mean, I think it was more feeding poverty, but you're bad. You're just like sitting there eating a bag of chips or drinking water, soda, whatever it might be. And then, you know, I guess that human compassion gene, it's triggered and you want to, you don't want to donate. But again, a lot of people probably just flipped the channel. So did that, was that really effective in, in moving that forward? Right. But to have a more, I guess, tangible product, which I'm very happy to share that I was able to find it, um, a tangible product that you can, again, read, go to a website, um, have a connection face-to-face with the owner, um, and just understand more of the intentional uh, business side, I guess, of it. You know, it's not to selfishly make you a multimillionaire or the next person. It's a collective movement and a global shift in, in how we can all help each other. Right. There's a lot of secondary things that as we grow that we'll be able to do. Um, but the, the nonprofits that we work with are just really amazing. Um, we work with um, Village Works, and what they do is they have what's called a bucket filter. And you, you take a five-gallon bucket, you drill a hole in the bottom of it, you screw this filter into it, and that filter will provide clean water for a family of four for 10 years. And they cost $30. Yeah. So in small communities or a community where it's just geographically impossible to get a well drilling rig, uh, Village Works goes into those communities and they provide these bucket filters. So there, there are solutions for smaller communities. Um, Living Water International is a nonprofit based out of Texas, and they've been funding wells since the 90s. They've been around forever. Um, they've got a really great success rate with their wells continuing to stay functional. Um, they, their wells are really, really simple, um, really basic. Uh, they're very difficult to break and very easy to fix. They have like two moving parts in them. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And uh, so they've got a great success rate for keeping those wells functioning 20 years after they've been installed. And just like Bihanga, um, the wells that they do typically provide clean water for 500 to 1,000 people. And then Waterboys is a group that's made up of uh, NFL players and they fund big wells. Their wells will provide 10,000 gallons of water a day. And so therefore basically small towns. I mean, they can, they can provide a lot of clean water for a lot of people with those wells. And they're our solution to, to bigger communities and that type of thing. So I was really intentional about, I wanted an answer for each of these groups. One of our goals as we scale, you mentioned earlier that, you know, even here in the United States, there are places that don't have clean drinking water. They have contaminated water. As we scale, um, what I, the solution, the best solution that I've seen so far for the problems here in the United States is I, I'd like to hire a grant writer. I'd like to have somebody in our office and their entire role is to find these communities that need clean water and write state and federal grants and get funding. And then we can help, you know, if there's more funding that needs to be provided, we can help fund those projects. So that's kind of one of our long-term goals as we scale and grow over the next couple of years is to, is to add that piece because I love being able to, to do this great work to people who, you know, for people who desperately need it, um, that don't have water to survive at all. But it's, it's always been really important to me to, to take care of our own and, and help people here at home that don't have that access. So there are people who have contaminated wells right here in the United States. There are cities that have water that should not be consumed by humans. Um, so that's, that's another piece of, of what we hope to do. That's awesome. So as of now, it is pretty focused on um, just developing the wells? Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, what's really cool is we, we're funding the wells, but the nonprofits that we work with have a presence in those communities. They don't just go in and drill a well and then walk away from those communities. They're really intentional about, um, about raising up leaders within those communities themselves. Um, you, you asked me earlier if I'd uh, been on mission trips, and, and I think I shared with you, um, in, in June of last year, I was in Jeremy, Haiti with a group, and we were doing medical mission trips. It was a medical clinic uh, that we were there for. We did five days of medical clinics and treated like 350 people in those five days. Um, and there were several people that we saw in those five days that if, if that group had not been there, those people would not be alive today. There were people that came in. One of them was an infant with really severe pneumonia that we, we flew out to, um, to um, Port-au-Prince the next day. That organization is called Haiti Bible Mission. And they have this model. They don't, um, like Mark Stockland is the founder of that. And they never bring in an American and put them like in front of the Haitian church to teach. They might bring a group of Haitian pastors together and that American pastor might have a class and teach them as, as leaders. But everything about these nonprofits that we work with is about lifting up leaders within those communities, not going in and being the leader of that community, but going in and lifting them up and, and equipping and empowering the people that are already there. That's a really important piece of it. You know, the, the well is great, but if there's no ability to do maintenance, if nobody's been trained to do maintenance on the well, then it's going to stop working. And, you know, if there's nobody there to teach, 
then now they just have six hours of idle time. You know, if there's no school, if there's no teacher. So uh, the groups that we work with are very intentional about, about the presence in that community after the well. And that's, that's really important. Yeah, because it's more than just, again, kind of jumping into a community saying, hey, we see that you're struggling. This is what you need. We'll give it to you. I know six months later, they're left with nothing, basically, again, and kind of back to, to square one in a sense. And I guess I didn't know that side of the work that the, the nonprofits are doing itself, not just going in again and saying, yeah, this is what we're doing and then leaving, but really giving them that, again, the tools for success, like, right but not in a, a disempowering way. Right. Like I guess telling them like, oh, you guys got problems. Good luck. Um, we'll be over here when you need us type of thing. Right. No, they're, they're very present and, and grounded with supporting the growth and sustainability of that. Community. Right. And, and in some communities, they will bring in like a teacher from the outside, you know, somebody that wants to do mission work and wants to be a teacher. That does happen. But most of the time, their goal there is to train up other teachers within the community. Um, so that's, um, like you said, it, it's, it's the difference between providing for them or equipping them. And it's, a, it's really it's subtle in the way that it's done, but it's, it's so powerful, um, you know, the difference between those two. Earlier you mentioned, you know, the real motivation to starting this, um, it's kind of saying that, you know, more people were doing it, or if anybody was doing it, it would have been done type of thing. But through your research, you never did discover that anybody else was doing um, like a similar lines of work with the water, or you have? I actually, the, the only thing that I really know of is um, Starbucks has Ethos, okay. which is their, their water that they sell in the store. And they provide, um, I think it's five cents from every bottle that they sell goes to clean water projects in coffee growing regions, which is very cool. And a lot of, you know, a lot of companies do giving, um, you know, I mean, Target has, Target gives back 5% to every community the store that has a store. Um, so a lot of corporations have giving as part of their business model. It's just, you know, it's just a smart way to do business. But as far as anybody that actually just did this, um, I, there's, there's no one else out there that I know of that's doing it. Something really, really interesting happened to me right before we launched. I had, we originally, originally it was going to be called Give Beverages instead of One for One Water. Um, we kind of rebranded and said, no, One for One, com, you know, communicates who we are and what we do. We rebranded and came up with the, the logo that you see now, which actually is a lot easier to see it on the hat. Got it. <laughs> But so we rebranded and we were putting stuff out on social media and a guy contacted me on Facebook and he said, Hey, I love what you're doing, but we need to talk about the fact that you're using my logo. <laughs> and we're two weeks from launch. I have pallets of water with the logo on it. And I was like, what? So I contacted the guy and it was really funny because it turned out that we had a couple of mutual friends. And when we were designing the logo, we had four different versions of it and we beta tested those with about 5,000 people. So the mutual friends of this guy were some of the people that had received the email with the beta testing images in it. 
and they had voted for the logo that we currently have. So I reached out to him and I, and I, and I sent him that beta testing email. And then we talked and realized we had a couple of friends in common. And he was like, man, it's so crazy because in 2010, this guy went to Haiti on a church mission trip and saw that there was a complete or a large lack of clean water in Haiti. And he came back and decided to do one for one water and fund wells in Haiti. And I've never, I had never met him. I'd never heard of him before. Never, and he ran the business for about a year and it didn't get traction and he just shut it down. It, like I said, when I first got that message from him, I was sick to my stomach. I'm like, what's happening here? I'm, I'm gonna have to rebrand and everything else. And then when, when he and I talked um, and he saw that we hadn't just stolen his logo, cause they're very similar. The, the font is different, but it, it's very, very similar. Um, so anyhow, after he and I talked, and he realized that we had come up with that logo. I mean, if you, if you put, I don't know, uh, uh, 30 people in a room and gave them a pencil and paper and said, design a logo for one for one, a couple of them would come up with what we have or something very similar. But so anyhow, after he and I talked and he told me, you know, his story of how he had had the idea when he was in Haiti and then he came back and then he, wound up, you know, getting too busy with other business projects. And, and he, so he shut it down after a year. Um, I, I had a conversation with a couple of my investors and they said, um, they said, you know, how do you, how do you feel about that? You know, that, that somebody tried it already and they failed uh, or gave it up or whatever. And I, I thought about it and I was like, I, it's really crazy the fact that the logo was so similar and the mission is, was so similar. Um, and I almost feel like, like this guy decided that he didn't want to pursue it anymore and he put it on a shelf. God wasn't done with it yet. He was just waiting for the right person to come along and say, okay, I want you to pick this up and I want you to move forward with it. And like I said, I, it was really funny because I sent the guy all the different versions of the logo that we had drafted and gone back and forth and everything. And, um, and he's actually, he's, he's an entrepreneur. He's got a, a new business that he just launched. So he and I have stayed in contact, but it was really, really funny. It's kind of surreal that this wasn't really my idea. And, and I'm not entirely sure it was, was his, you know, I think this was an idea that it's, it's time for this, you know? And almost 10 years later, I just come up with the same, same concept and the same name um, and a very similar logo. It was just, it was, it was surreal. So. Yeah, that is pretty. And you, you don't make those things up, right? It's very hard. <laughs> oh my gosh, it was terrifying. It was <laughs> I can I imagine had, that feeling though. I had, I had hats, I had t-shirts, I had, you know, a vehicle that was wrapped with the logo on it. <laughs> well, at this point, again, you had really committed and invested that oh, yeah. next tier of, you know, I'm ready, we're doing it. And a couple of weeks from launch. And so it was, uh, it was a little bit stressful until, you know, we got, we, we talked and then we wrote up an agreement, really simple agreement. And, um, and he, gave me the rights to the logo and to a couple of domain names and that kind of thing. So it worked out, but it was, like I said, when I, the investors, when I talked to them, they were kind of concerned. They were like, well, do you think you maybe ever saw this somewhere? And it, this guy was in um, the Atlanta area 
and he never got outside the Atlanta area. So it never, it wasn't like it was a national brand, it was a flash and then it went away. Um, he was kind of in a, in a local at the time. Like you said, you know, you did the research, never once came across this, but I guess it was really hidden in that, that shelf of mm -hmm. ready to be picked up, but in the back of the library and the bottom shelf. And <laughs> right, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, it, it's, well, it's like a, you know, it's, it's like a, a library. If you, you know, there are books in that library that are, that there's only a handful of people that are going to gravitate toward that specific book. And, and I think that's a lot of how life is. You know, I, I hear a lot of people that are entrepreneurs and to me that it, it's almost like they're shaming anybody that's not an entrepreneur. They're like, you've got to follow your dream. You know, you've got to, you've got to reach out and be bigger than, you know, you, and, and it, it gets to a point where it's almost shaming. You know, if you've got a good job and you love your job and you're happy there, there's nothing wrong with that. If you have something in your heart or in your mind that you, you feel like you want to do something more, there's definitely nothing wrong with that. But I see so much, I, I'm involved with a, lot of, with a lot of entrepreneurs and I've got some friends that are uh, educators and, and motivational speakers and that kind of thing. And, and sometimes that, sometimes that group of people, it, it, like I said, it's almost like they're shaming you if you, if you don't have some aspiration or they want to sit down with you and help you figure out what it should be. You know, I can coach you and help you figure out what your, what your, you know, what your interests are or whatever. And, um, and I think there are plenty of people that have great jobs and they provide for their family and they're happy and leave them alone. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. <laughs> If it's working for them, let it be. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, I don't, I've yet to meet anybody that when I tell them, you know, what I do, that they've said, oh, I've always wanted to do that. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but even you, I mean, you wouldn't, I guess five years ago, you yeah. wouldn't have said you wanted to do it, but you also didn't understand your capability or even power to maybe create something like this. Right, right. Well, it, like I said, as, as I was building it and I started to realize that the impact that we could have, um, I, I built out a business plan. I built out projections and spreadsheets and I took them to the two most skeptical businessmen that I knew. Um, they were, they were where I'm like, if anybody can poke a hole in this, it's these guys. So I took my business plan and I went and I sat with a friend of mine at lunch and slide the plan across the table. And I told him, that I was going to do this. And I handed him a red pen and he starts flipping through and asking me questions based on the information in the business plan. And he hammered me for an hour and a half. Just, I mean, this guy's a sharp, successful businessman. Um, you know, he knows about margins. He knows about cost of goods. He knows about all of these things. And so he was a perfect resource for me. And, but, but again, a very high level skeptic. <laughs> so we sit there for an hour and a half and he just beats me up. And I had most of the time it was in the business plan. Um, you know, the statistics, the data, the information to answer every question that he had for an hour and a half. And he was like exhausted at the end of it. I kind of was too actually. <laughs> and he never made a red mark in the business plan. So he puts the pen back on it. He slides it back across the table to me. And I said, so tell me why it won't work. Tell me what I'm missing. 
you know, am I, am I too motivated by the passion for it? Or just, you know, does the business model work? Tell me, show me the flaw in it. And he kind of sat back and he sat there for a minute. And then he said, he said, what happens when you drill all these wells and nobody else needs wells anymore? And I was like, so just to be clear, the only downside you can see to my business is that it could potentially end the global water crisis. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody else will need wells anymore. And then he realized what he had just said and we both started laughing about it. And I told him, I'm like, Peter, if that happens, I will board up the windows and doors on the, on the main office and I will collect my Nobel prize on the way out of town. And I will just retire and feel like I've done something meaningful. <laughs> you know? So, but, but the thing is like, I, I'm so, um, I'm so, so conscious of trying to trying to not over project what we can do um, it, it, in that $25 billion bottled water industry, two major players have 10% each. Well, it's like 9.6% each of that market. So just for easy math, 10% of 25 billion. So two major players are doing over 2 billion annually in bottled water. Okay. Yeah. Coke and Pepsi both have their own bottled water brands and both of those brands are, they account for like nine and a half percent of the bottled water sales. And then there are other, other players that get um, probably between like one and 3% is, is most of the other brands that you see on the shelf in the grocery store. And then there are a ton of brands that get less than 1% of that market. The goals that I have for One for One Water are based on our giving. If, if we, when we get to 55 million in annual re revenue, that's one quarter of 1% of that marketplace and we'll be able to fund a new well every day. That's a win for me. That's when, that's when I'll feel like we've really started to gain momentum and become what, we're, what we were born to be. We've got a great product. Um, it, it, I was really intentional about, I wanted to make sure that the product had legs to stand on. I didn't want it to be a pity buy. I didn't want it to be, it, it doesn't taste great, but I love what they do. So the, the water that we, that we currently have was voted one of the top best tasting spring waters in the world. There's, there's actually an annual water tasting competition called the Berkeley Springs Water Tasting. And they taste all of these different waters and they, and the water that we have um, was ranked in the top five in the entire world. Something that we haven't talked about is that um, the bottles, like that bottle that you have there is both recyclable and biodegradable. I looked at every manner of packaging that I could find. And I looked at paper, I looked at aluminum, I looked at glass. And this by far has the best carbon footprint and the best end source solution. So if you live in a community where they have recycling and you throw it in a recycle bin, uh, it's called a biopolymer, it's a plant-based plastic. So if it goes into a recycle bin, it will recycle. Um, but if it winds up in a landfill, it will biodegrade in four years and a standard plastic bottle takes 450 years. I mean, like I said, I, I obsessed over the packaging because I wanted to just deliver the best that we possibly could.
And then if you go into a grocery store, convenience store, coffee shop, and buy a bottle of our water, it's going to be competitively priced with any other premium brand of water that's on that shelf. We're going to be right in the middle of the price of any of those other major national brands. So we've got a really great product. We've got really great packaging and we're competitively priced. And then we have the mission on top of that. I wanted it to have more than one leg to stand on. I wanted it to be a really great product with really great packaging and fair pricing. And, and that was what I was looking at. Those were the calls I was making. Those were the spreadsheets I was building was seeing if we could do it in a way that, that it would really be of value to consumers. That's interesting. So when I did first pick it up, I was like, wait, how is this sustainable? So I'm happy you shared that biopolymer thing. Um, that's new to me. Is it basically more plant-based plastic than? What it is, it's actually just an additive um, that they add to. So that's the, the bio is an additive to a standard uh, polymer bottle. In the bottling facility, this is called a preform. And this is what the bottles look like before they're blown into the mold like this. If anybody else has a bottled water product and they want to convert to these, it adds about two cents to every bottle. It's really not that big of a cost to, um, to convert over. And um, my bottler actually converted their entire production facility over to these bottles once, they, once I came on board with them. They did all the research and they confirmed everything that, you know, that the manufacturer told them and everything, and they converted their entire production over to these bottles. So I think it's kind of cool because, um, you know, we were, we were building one for one water to have an impact on people that needed water and we're, we're having other impacts because we're having impacts on the packaging that's available here in the United States. Um, I looked at I looked at the cardboard. I looked at the paper packaging, and it has a terrible carbon footprint. You know, the the first step in making those is cutting down a bunch of trees. So then you haul those trees to a production facility. You process it into raw paper. They haul they haul the raw paper to a different facility that converts it into the carton containers. Then they haul the carton containers to a bottling facility where they fill them with water. And so there's all of this fuel being burned. To transport those around because of the process that's involved in making them um, and then they don't biodegrade well in landfills glass is so heavy that the carbon footprint is horrible you gotta you know it's made in in these furnaces that have to be incredibly hot and aluminum people are like well aluminum is a mineral it belongs in the earth if it goes into a landfill aluminum belongs 1200 feet below the surface of the earth that's why they have to mine it and and when aluminum goes into a landfill and it can get into the surface water and aluminum in that surface water is incredibly unsafe. So I was really, really diligent uh, in trying to find the best solution for the packaging. So, and I'm really happy with them. I mean, it, it wound up working out really well that we've got this great bottler now. Um, and, and, the, and the water's also, uh, it's naturally alkaline. The pH is 8.3 and it's consistent 8.3, so. When discovering, or I guess doing more research as to what spring or how you wanted to source the water, was that another pretty rigorous process in finding 
you know, what would still be sustainable, but produce very high quality water. What happened initially, I had a bottler in Florida and I wasn't, wasn't really comfortable. I mean, it, there are a lot of people to bottle water here in Florida and there are a lot of big corporations that take that water and they, there, there's no real taxing on it or anything like that here in Florida. And um, people are starting to say that it's impacting uh, natural springs and that type of thing. Like the, the water is being removed at too rapid of a rate. So that was a concern for me. And I was trying to find a solution for that. I was, I was looking for another bottler when COVID-19 happened. And what wound up happening is the bottler that I was using here in North Florida stopped producing bottled water and started producing hand sanitizer. And so I desperately then started contacting bottlers. And over a three week period, I, I spoke to over a hundred bottlers and to find a bottler that had a natural spring water that was naturally alkaline, um, could do the one liter and the half liter sizes of the bottles um, and was willing to switch over to the biodegradable bottles. There, there are like 12 different versions of this cap size in the bottling industry. So I'd call somebody and they'd be like, we have a 27 millimeter cap. We can't, we can't run your production. And it was just all of these boxes that had to be checked. So I finally found uh, a company in Tennessee and it's a smaller bottler and they switch their entire production facility over to the biodegradable bottles because they love them so much. They have an artesian spring and the difference in that and what goes on here in Florida is in Tennessee and North Carolina, you can only harvest water that comes to the surface on its own. You can't drill a well and pull water out of the earth. If it bubbles up out of the water on its own, then it's considered a spring and you can pull that water off the surface and that's how they determined that they were going to protect their natural aquifer from being depleted. So the, this, the bottler that I found in Tennessee has an artesian spring on their property. And that's how they harvest the water is the water comes to the surface on its own power because that water is just bubbling up out of the ground on its own. What wound up happening is my old bottler doesn't produce water anymore. And I found this new bottler that has what I consider to be a better product. And this is the product that actually was in the top five in the world's best tasting spring water. So it's a great tasting product. It's naturally alkaline. And I feel better about the way that it's harvested. I grew up here in Florida and I've seen what has happened to the freshwater availability here. You know, we see what happens every time we have, you know, heavy rains and, and the Okeechobee, Lake Okeechobee starts to get overfilled. I was brought up to, to, that we were supposed to take care of the planet. So these pieces were all really important to me, the environmental impact of the packaging and the environmental impact of harvesting the water. It wound up being a blessing in disguise when that bottler stopped making product for me because now I found what is, what is a better, better product, um, and it's more centrally located, so it's better for shipping, it's better for freight, and it, gets, it gives us the ability to get product to the Amazon warehouse that we deal with very quickly. So it's wound up being much better than 
than what we had before. So it was, it was seven weeks of just, <laughs> I, I, you know, a bottled water guy that doesn't have any bottled water isn't really much of a businessman, you know? <laughs> so it was, uh, it was a stressful period of time. There've been several things like that that have happened through this process. And that's just business. Those things happen. But I really feel like what we're doing is so much bigger than me. I really feel like just everything is working together to, to make sure that we're successful. It's not going to be easy, but I just, I have so much confidence in the success of this business and, and not because of me. Um, I've met the right people at the right time. Sometimes when I didn't even know that I needed those people at the right time, the right person comes along and it's just the way it works. You found that more people, I guess your friends and maybe close to your family members, have they been like really inspired by the work that you're doing? And I mean, nonetheless, it's a really great legacy that you're leaving for future generations mm -hmm. to, to continue to thrive from, of course, but also you're kind of setting a new level of leadership for entrepreneurs and again, business models that can thrive in this type of business um, rather than just striving to make, you know, the end profit goal. The reaction for this business is like nothing I've ever seen. Um, people just connect with what we do immediately. Like, I, you know, I walk into a coffee shop and hand them a bottle of water and say, hey, you know, this is who we are and this is what we do. Um, you know, would you be interested in, in having this here? And it's the, the response is just amazing. You know, people, before we even start talking about pricing and what it's going to cost them, what they can sell it for, they're like, we'll never sell anything else. This is amazing. We love what you do. We will, we will pull every other brand off the shelf. Um, and I've had a couple of, I've had a couple of retailers that have kind of gone to war for me um, because some of the other beverage companies don't want, they, they want exclusivity and that's fine. Um, but I've had a couple of them. I've had a couple of places that I went into and I showed them the product and they were like, absolutely, we'll carry it. And then the, you know, the distributor for that other company came in and they were like, you can't sell, you can't sell one for one water and have our product on the shelf. And those retailers have said, okay, take your product and get it out of my store. Wow. And they backed down. Um, but that's, that's how people connect with this. And so in most businesses, you, um, you like, you do your customer engagement stuff and then you go back and you do whatever piece of that business that it is that motivates you and gets you energized again so that you have the energy and the enthusiasm to go back out and do customer service again or do sales again. Mm -hmm. This business is completely the opposite. Like I start working in the morning and I do invoices and I do, you know, all the different things that I have to do that are like the business piece of it that are my least favorite piece of the business. And then I will go out and visit retailers that carry the product and just pop in to see how they're doing, see if they need anything. Walk in wearing one of the shirts and people cheer. They're like, hey, it's the water guy. Like people just love what we do. And I and I think it's that thing. I think it's because we have, we've come up with a way for them to do something about it. It's a great product and people tell me that all the time. But I think the thing is, it, it's, it's something I can do. And, and that's, that's the thing is that, you know, uh, 
we talked earlier about when something is an overwhelming problem and you kind of feel over, you, you just have to kind of look away from it, you know? That's not that you're a bad person because you are overwhelmed by something that you feel like you can't do anything about. So I wanna make sure we point that out because there are things in this world that we feel powerless to do anything about. And we, that's human nature. We, it's just a piece of who we are. But people connect with, it, it's not what we do. You know, people are like, I love what you do. And I'm like, we, we provide the tools. You're the ones that are doing it. You're the ones that are buying the water. You're the ones that are telling people about it. And it's just really cool to, to be somewhere and see somebody that's drinking one-for-one one water or see somebody that's got one of the hats or shirts on and see that people are telling people about what we do because they because they're passionate about it you know yeah that's definitely how I mean I was inspired to reach out to you I think it was two years ago now that you handed me the gift beverages card yeah. just so we could stay in contact and for whatever right. reason I kept that um in a pile of stuff really and it wasn't until I just more things, you know, life continues, started the podcast, I've always kept the name and the information. Mm -hmm. And then when I was like, wait, this is another perfect opportunity to just hear how someone, you know, I like to say step into their power, but really just said yes to the opportunity and didn't, you know, building resilience and just not giving up on the success of it or even um, the vision for it. You know, that's the first real step is just having the idea and continuing to grow your passion and momentum. But you you created that why, you, you answered that why. You know, it wasn't just for yourself, it's it's a more from me to we thing. And like you're saying, collectively, you're applauded, I guess, by others, but everyone should really be giving themselves a pat on the back. Because yeah. moving forward with, I mean, not only just consuming bottled water, um, you know, obviously that's a huge problem, plastic waste from, uh, plastic water bottles themselves, but you've kind of transitioned into the next level of not only solving a problem, but a, again, a global crisis essentially. And that's, I mean, it almost gives me chills because it, it excites me that much that people are, are doing stuff like this. Right. And I think it goes so unheard of and, you know, you could market and brand yourself all you want, spend money on advertisement, but it's not until I guess you create a real relationship with the, the founder, the creator behind it that you have, a really valuable connection with. I think a lot of people want to do more but it's not really it's not really something that that people talk about so it's not you know it's not something that that you can you know you can say hey I want to do this business how can I make it more how can I make it bigger than just just a business and there are so many things that that you can do like what you're doing with your podcast of connecting people who are who are working and trying to 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 be their best version of themselves that's great i mean that's an amazing thing and your platform is really amazing i'm really when you reached out to me i was like this is awesome i was so proud of you i know that sounds funny but i'm kind of like i feel like a big brother to you kind of <laughs> um but there's a way that you can take almost any business and you don't have to be um you know, doing millions of dollars in revenue before you can have an impact. Mm -hmm. There are underserved people in every community that would benefit from an opportunity. So if you've got, I don't, I don't care what it is. I don't care what kind of business it is. If it, it's um, a lawn business, you know, 
that you can you can reach underserved people in your community and provide them with a job opportunity and that can be your mission you know knowing that you've provided an opportunity and provided somebody with training and equipped them and given them empowered them to to lift themselves up to me that is a bigger why than you know, i want to have a successful business now there's plenty of people out there that are motivated by just i just want to have a successful business and they you know they want to do year-end giving or whatever and that's the way they want to do it that's fine that's a way to do it but if you're starting small and if you've only got a couple of employees or something like that or or there's always going to be some way that you can that you can benefit somebody that's underserved you know you can provide you know a discount um, for military veterans or a discount for teachers or for you know, single parents or whoever you can, there's something you can do that you can make compassion part of the DNA of your mission. And it doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be huge. There are people that would say, you know, there are a billion people that don't have clean water and you've helped 545 of them. Well, I dare you to say that to those 545 people, <laughs> you know, um, I didn't get to go on this trip. Uh, it's really expensive to go on the trip and I could fund an entire well for what it would have cost for me to go on the trip. So, but one of the, one of the leaders from Living Water International was there on that trip and she was using WhatsApp and she was sending me pictures and videos from when they were drilling the well. And it was just amazing. I mean, the, they knew they knew what it meant. You know, they knew that it was bigger than just clean water. They, they knew, and they were literally dancing in the streets in this little community. And it was just humbling. That's why I don't, I don't really feel like this is my idea. I really feel like this is an inspired idea. And when I say that it's meant to put it into perspective. Um, this was not in my, you know, not in my field, not anything I had any experience doing, and so far outside anything I'd ever done, you know, foundational business principles aside, it was completely out of my wheelhouse, and so big that I had to do it. We talked at the beginning a little bit about there's been, you know, personal growth, um, I mean, I've, I've learned a lot. I've grown a lot in, in knowledge um, from the industry and, and, and all the different aspects of the, you know, the retail, the distribution, all of the different pieces of the industry. I've learned a ton about that. I've still got a lot to learn. But when you, when you step outside your comfort zone is when weaknesses in your armor become visible and you realize, man, I've, I've got to, I've got to work on that about myself. Last year in August, I went to New York and I pitched Kevin Harrington from Shark Tank. And there were a hundred people in the room and they said, not everybody's gonna to get to pitch in front of the room. So we're gonna pick a handful of people. And if you'd like to be one of those people, just check the box that says, you know, I'm willing to pitch in front of the room of a hundred people. Well. Kevin Harrington is the original shark. And if you can't stand in front of a room of a hundred people 
and pitch your business confidently, he's not going to respect you as an entrepreneur. That's just how it is. And I knew that and I didn't want to do it, but I checked the box. And we had this thing that we did in the fire department. Um, like it happened when I was only a few years into the fire service, I was walking into a structure fire in the middle of the night. I was a senior firefighter and we had a rookie firefighter that had never been in a fire. He'd done it in fire academy and training, but he'd never been in a real life structure fire. So Lieutenant, rookie firefighter and myself walking up to this house and I could see that he was, his, his respirations were really, really high. And I could tell that he was getting caught up in the adrenaline that you get when you walk into a fire. And so I punched him in the shoulder really hard <laughs> and shocked him, you know, and he turned and he looked at me. Now the, the bunker gear is thick. So he was particularly, <laughs> but I shocked him out of, you know, the, the, he, I shocked him out of his own head. He was getting into his own head and I shocked him out of that when I punched him in the shoulder. And he looked at me and I grabbed him and pulled him up close to me and I said, this is what we do. And he said, okay, let's do it. And we went in and he, he got control of his breathing, got, you know, slowed his heart rate down and he, we put the fire out. So I know there are pieces of, of this that you feel uncomfortable with sometimes and standing in front of that room of a hundred people and pitching Kevin Harrington and everybody else was the piece that I don't particularly, I didn't seek that out at all, but I knew this is the role that I've accepted. And there's gonna be a lot more of this kind of public speaking and a lot more educating people and, and um, raising their level of awareness about the global water crisis and what we can do. So that's what I did as I was walking up to that front of that room. I said, this is what you do. You, know, you accepted this role. And I was just ice calm. It was the funniest thing. Because I've, I've, I've done a little bit of public speaking. I've taught and that kind of thing as a firefighter. And, um, and I was always nervous. And this was probably the most important public speaking I had, had, had ever done at that point. And I was just completely calm and walked up and crushed it. So, um, so it was a really cool thing, but it was part of that growing and learning piece of it, you know? <laughs> so that was your first proposal to, I guess, angel investors in a way you had, you know, had the yeah. idea, but no real funding behind it yet. Is that, Right, right. I, I funded it myself up until um, probably about August of last year. And we're, we're actually doing a round A of funding still. We actually extended it uh, 90 days because of COVID-19 kind of shutting everything down on us. Um, but for the most part, the investors that we have at this point are local investors from the Southwest Florida community. Um, they are personal friends of mine. Um, people that I've, I've met through business through the years and that type of thing primarily. But you know, for the most part, they are business owners in Southwest Florida. And we've, we've raised, our goal is to raise $250,000 for this round A and we're halfway to that goal at this point. Um, Kevin Harrington, after going back and forth with him for several weeks said, um, you know, Kevin Harrington, one of his, 
one of his guys that I have still maintained contact with, um, one of his guys said, you know, Kevin doesn't invest in pre-revenue businesses. And at that point we were pre-revenue and I was kind of like, well, it would have been good to know before I flew to New York, <laughs> <You know? laughs> but it was a great experience every time. Um, you know, I've got, I've got a couple of other friends that are entrepreneurs that are doing startups and, and I tell them every, anybody that asks you about the business pitch to them, do your pitch because every time you do it, you get a little bit better at it. That's what I tell entrepreneurs is just any opportunity that you have to pitch, especially in front of a group of people, um, take that opportunity, even if it's not, even if there's pro there might not be anybody in that room. The other thing is you never know. You never know who might, you know, make an introduction to you, you know, if you're, if you're raising funding, you never know who might have an uncle that they want to put you in touch with or something. And um, so it's, it's, it's great practice. Um, and like I said, I know, you know, my marketing people want me to do a TED talk and I'm not really excited about that, but I'm going to do it. You know, <laughs> Good for you. is that organized in the near future or that's not really a thing yet? Um, it'll probably be like third quarter of this year. Mm. It's probably, yeah, once things start really opening and public spaces can have more than 10 people. Huh? <laughs> right. Yeah. Huh. That's awesome. Um, so with the, you know, locations here in Southwest Florida, is that essentially where people can find the product, you know, other than online purchasing it? Mm -hmm. If you go to our website, which is oneforonewater.com, you can click on the link and you can actually buy through Amazon. And we just got that set up. So I'm really excited about that. The, if you're here in Southwest Florida, we have, we have sites from, um, from Old Naples to Tampa that carry one for one water. And the thing is that was, that's kind of about that. That's about building brand recognition and really kind of starting to develop a market for the product. The next big step uh, in a beverage company is to get distributors to carry your product so that you, you know, instead of, instead of doing direct distribution, which is what we're doing now, um, instead of selling, you know, 10 cases at a time, you're sending, selling 10 pallets at a time to the distributor and then they handle the going out and, and, you know, stocking the shelves at the convenience stores or wherever they are. So COVID-19 hit the brakes on us on a couple of things. Um, we couldn't get product on Amazon because Amazon had shut down a lot of their fulfillment um, because they were short staffed. That pushed me to have to find a third party um, fulfillment center. And in that process, I found a great company and they are they're growing but there's there's still a major player in the third party fulfillment piece um but they're actually my cost is actually lower through them than it would have been if i'd stuck with amazon so you go on amazon and you click and buy the product and it comes you know from that facility that third party facility so it's really smooth and the and the customer doesn't even really know that it's not coming from an amazon warehouse but, um, but now Amazon's opening back up. So, so if you want one for one water, um, the pricing on the cases on Amazon includes free shipping. So, and we're, because water is heavy, um, you know, that's, that's part of the factor of the cost. So, but we are competitive with any of the other premium waters that you can buy on Amazon. So, so that's available on the website. And then we also do, um, we got hats, like I showed you the hat earlier. 
Um, and then we have a t-shirt. So we've got like a black cotton t-shirt. And that's the thing on the back. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Good for you. That's all new product then, no? Yeah, yeah. Well, we've had these for a couple of months, but we just launched the store. Okay. And then these are great for Florida. This is like an outside sun shirt. It's an SPF 40 sun shirt. Um, when you buy, when you go on the website and you buy this shirt, it provides clean water for an individual for one year. Okay. Every one of these items that I just showed you, the hat and the shirts, when you buy it, you provide clean water for an individual for one year with that purchase. So everything that we do comes back to the mission and what we do. And I've talked before about how I was really, really intentional about every single piece of this. Um, I, we're also really, really intentional about the giving that we do. And one for one is our model. And, but we, I wanted to make sure that we always had real integrity when it comes to providing what we say we're going to provide. So everything that we do when it comes to funding bucket filters or funding wells, we actually are providing about four for one. So we're providing four times as much clean water as we sell. So that was really, really important to me as well, because I wanted to make sure that we have a tremendous amount of integrity. People are trusting us to be the ones that, that, that are the go-between between between them and these nonprofits who are doing this. And I want to make sure that we are always um, worthy of that trust. Yeah. Well, you've earned my respect. <laughs> that is awesome. What a, a real fascinating journey that you've been taking on. And I mean, it's really just getting started again, though, no? <laughs> it really is. It really is. And, and like I said, the, um, the retailers kind of did the same thing. You know, when they were in the throes of trying to find toilet paper and hand sanitizer, they really didn't care about putting a new product on the shelf. So, so things slowed down, but that all, but it has also, things are starting to open back up now. Um, and the retailers that we were talking to before are starting to, you know, have those conversations with us again about, um, about carrying the product. So um, it's been, it's been really interesting. Um, it's my first global pandemic, so I, you know, I don't, I don't have anything to compare it to. <laughs> yeah, no, we're all, I mean, I said it the other day, we're all on the big ship, but co like collectively, we're still kind of roaming on our own boats. And it's yeah. just interesting to see which way people are, you know, you can learn to thrive in this type of chaotic environment, or you, yeah, you spiral down into what's going on, I can't right. <laughs> No, just do your inner work, take care of yourself, you know, do what you can in the meantime. And when you're ready to help another person, then you can do that. Right. I've always, this comes off, this comes off morbid, but let me get to the point. <laughs> <laughs> um, in the fire service, we saw death almost every day. Um, we did medical rescue calls. We did vehicle accidents. We did structure fires. And in those, in those aspects, primarily the medical rescue calls that we ran, we saw death every day. Um, and, it, and it made, it had different effects on different people. Um, but what it did for me was it made me value life that much more. Um, not one of us has promised our next breath. And it doesn't matter if you're, you know, 15 or 85, not one of us knows if we'll be here or not. And that, 
it shouldn't scare you. It should challenge you. And it should tell you to, to live. Just live. I mean, you, anything that you do today, anything that you're good at, there was a time when you had never done it before and you sucked at it. So don't be afraid to suck at something. Don't be afraid to try something you've never done before and, you know, whatever it is, but get out there and live. And, and when you, I don't know, I, I was fortunate because that, that piece of that, um, impacted me personally when I was, when I was young and it, and it changed my outlook. And I lost a really good friend when I was young and I never got a chance to tell him that he was like a brother to me. And I, I stood next to his coffin and I promised him, I said, I'll never let that happen again. And tell the people that you care about that you care about them. Live, live. That's, it's just that simple. I mean, I don't mean to get philosophical here, but um, <laughs> stepping out and doing something crazy like starting this business, it, there's a possibility it will fail. But how can I not try? This is so much bigger than me. How can I not give this everything I've got? How can I not try as hard as I possibly can to make this work? And, and that's, how, that's how we should live our lives. I think we should really, truly live. Um, I don't know. <laughs> no, I completely agree. I mean, I, it wasn't easy for me to say yes to this. I'm like, you're crazy. There's already, oh my God, hundreds of what seems like thousands of podcasts anymore. How am I going to be successful? I didn't, you know, I wasn't blindsided to, I guess, the failure side of, or even kind of putting those thoughts into my head. I'm like, no, just, just try it out. And right. so far, so good. Uh, but it's, <laughs> It's still a learn, you know, learning process and a, a really interesting journey along the way just to see more of my skills kind of unfold. Like you're saying, you know, I actually went to college for a communications degree, but never would I think that this is what I'd be utilizing my, my skills and knowledge with. Um, not like they really taught you how to promote or build a podcast platform in, in that schooling, but you still understand how to, to reach an audience, you know, how to create a message and format it to a way that makes sense or applies to their emotions, just, you know, adding more compassion to um, a speech or something of that sort. But yeah. I always believed that I had the capability to do something, again, bigger than myself. And this is what it's turned into for now. So I'm really happy that I, that I said yes, of course. And people along the way that I'm meeting are, are open to it as well. So that's what gives me more confidence in knowing that people are attracted to it. Um, they resonate with it because of course at first I was like oh no I'm gonna get no views <laughs> the first episode I was like really nervous but then keep keep producing you know you have to have content that's um, you know put out pretty frequently that way you build the audience because that's what they expect at that point so it's been a lot of fun and <laughs> I think that was a great closing you know message for everyone to basically you know not be afraid you haven't really mentioned that word a lot um, or at all really, but you know, fear is fear of failure, fear of expectations, everything um, a lot of people have. And it seems like you were just yeah, moving forward with this true potential that you saw for it being more than a business. Again, it's yeah. a service that you're doing for, for more than 
a village, but yeah, our local community, you know, to hear that other locals are investing in this, it's just, it's a full circle effect and mm -hmm. it's promising. <laughs> so is there any uh, last message you, I guess you feel again guided to share or close off with for us? Um, I don't, the, the whole reason that I took off on that whole, um, you know, don't be afraid piece was because of everything that's going on with COVID-19. Um, and there are a lot of people who are isolated and afraid, and those are two terrible things to, to, to be. Um, and that's the reason that I, I wanted to talk about that piece of it, because I've seen uh, you know, I've seen a lot of that through my years in the fire service and, and personally too. So that's the reason that I wanted to share that. And, um, you know, if you're, you know, if you're watching this and you are home and you're alone and you're isolated and you're afraid and you don't know who or what to believe, because that's the nature of our media today, you know, they're all over the spectrum of whether this is, uh, you know, dangerous or not just find somebody to talk to. You've got someone that you can talk to, find somebody to talk to, and it's okay to not, to not be okay right now. There's a lot going on. Um, it's okay to say, I'm, I'm not okay right now, I need to talk to somebody. Um, and the, the person that you just thought of that is the person that you could reach out to, they're, they're gonna be glad that you reached out to them. You're not being a burden but you just thought of somebody that you could reach out to, reach out to that person. That's awesome, yeah. I mean, I've preached it a lot on here, but we truly need each other to not only heal and learn from, but to grow from, but to support one another. You know, we've been oddly disconnected through culture and, you know, even to hear that side of like villages are still sustaining with, you know, 300 to 500 people it does not look like that here in, in America. We might have communi communal living with the gated communities, but beyond that, you know, it's a very larger scale of the type of community while we all live in, but it's never, I guess, too large to still think that you can find someone to relate with. And, right. you know, of course we have the resources of technology, always reach out on there to leverage your resource, but I do believe there's there's someone out there for everyone to to connect with and you know just share the story and that feeling of um you know not being alone of course and and like you just said saying not being afraid to say i'm I'm not doing okay no i'm I'm not well, yeah. please help <laughs> you know mm -hmm. yeah in the in the fire service, we saw some really terrible things, and you know we would do. PTSD, um, post-traumatic stress disorder, debriefings after those incidents. And, you know, a lot of guys would, would try to act like they were okay, um, but you could kind of see it. And, and that was what those incidents were for, the way they were structured. Um, those debriefings were structured to, to peel those layers off and let you say, that really bothered me to see that. And... Um, it's it's necessary to 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 drag that thing out into the daylight um, takes its power away. So find a way to do that. Don't 
don't sit in isolation. Right. Don't hold it back, just because I mean that's how we become very yeah an anxious and yeah. PTSD becomes more of a, a global almost crisis at that point because there's so many people with bottled up emotions and experiences that they haven't shared and I think again it's very practical and useful for people to to let that go it's very therapeutical it's necessary more more than ever than again just making a Facebook post or maybe right. journaling it like speaking your truth to another person is it's powerful mm -hmm. absolutely awesome well, I'm very thankful again uh, that you could take the time for today. I think Absolutely. This has been great. It's been really refreshing, and I'm really excited for the viewers to hear this one. Awesome. Thanks. Cool. Well, take care, and I wish you the best of continued success, of course, with the growth of One for One. Great. And if there's great. anything I can help with, I'm always here for you. You as well. You as well. Take care, John. I'll have an awesome day. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye.